Good evening, everyone, and welcome to The Real Science Exchange, the podcast where leading scientists and industry professionals meet over a few drinks to discuss the latest ideas and trends in animal agriculture. The Real Science Exchange began in the fall of 2020 and allowed us to have a deeper and more intimate conversations with our guests from the Real Science Lecture Series of webinars. With the pubcast, we try to recreate the atmosphere and discussions that take place in the pub after a scientific conference. That's when the most inspired and lively conversations take place and where the most difficult scientific problems are solved, at least temporarily. Hi, I'm Scott Sorrell, one of your hosts here at the Real Science Exchange. As we welcome a new year, we want to look back and reflect on our uh, amazing guests and great conversations we had during 2022. But before we dry, uh, uh, drop in, I'd like to thank all of our loyal listeners. We've uh, been so blessed with a growing audience. We have listeners in all 50 U.S. states and in 48 countries around the world. Um, we've had over 56,000 downloads and continue to gain listeners uh, every episode. I personally want to thank uh, each and every uh, one of our loyal listeners and our amazing guests, and we're excited to see what 2022 brings. Tonight, the pub is a little slow, and it's just going to be Clay and I around the table tonight. So uh, welcome, Dr. Zimmerman. Good to see you. Good to see you for one final time here in 2022 in, in the pub. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, speaking of the pub, what, what's in your glass tonight? Any New Year's resolutions to expand your uh, your drink repertoire? So I've I've changed it up a little bit in honor of the season and and my late father as well. So uh, I have some eggnog in my glass tonight. Uh, My my father really enjoyed this around the holidays and uh, he didn't drink a lot, but he would dog it up around the around the holidays. (laughs) That's good. No, we were talking before. Was it was he hiding his uh, what was he putting in there? First of all, was it like. Bourbon or what it was, was a bottle of something. Yeah, it was hidden in the cellar stairway. Yeah, uh, away from now, hiding kids. it from 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 the kids. Oh, okay, all right, very <laughs> <Yes>. well. <laughs> so, uh, Scott, what are you drinking tonight? So, so I too a little bit different. Uh, Miss Mary made me a, a a hot mulled cider, and I spiced it up a little bit with um, a local bourbon called uh, Hudson whiskey. So that's Uh, distilled in it's called bright lights big bourbon and that's made in the hudson valley of new york so that's what i'm having tonight it's very very tasty so cheers clay to to uh an amazing 2022 yes it's been a great year thank you tonight's pubcast stories are brought to you by reassure precision release choline Reassure is the most researched encapsulated choline on the market today consistently delivering results to your transition cows of higher peak milk reduced metabolic disorders, and even in utero benefits to her calf leading to growth and health improvements. Visit balchem.com to learn more. So uh, tonight's format um, is going to be a little bit different. Most annual countdowns, uh, people count down their top 10. But what we're going to do tonight, uh, Clay has selected his top three, and and I've uh, selected my top three. And so we're going to go through those in, in reverse order. To see a complete list of all the episodes, though, I uh, encourage you to visit balkem.com slash podcast and uh, subscribe to your uh, favorite podcast platform while you're there as well. Clay, I'm going to ask you to start us off with your third place uh, podcast. What was your th- uh, third favorite? Yeah. So, you know, obviously lots of great episodes to 
to choose from this year. So, um, so my number three uh, was a Journal Club episode. It was the um, it was episode forty four. Uh, it aired on May twenty fourth, twenty twenty two, and it was um, it was actually one that we recorded live and in person at the uh, at the Tri State Dairy Nutrition Conference. Um, so I I really in- enjoyed that one quite a bit. I think it's the first journal club that we had, had actually recorded face to face, which certainly gave a, a different element to that. Um, I also enjoyed it because it it tied together a few different topics of interest to me and I, I think a lot of our listeners it uh, we discussed the impacts of of dietary decad. Uh, actually, in lactating cows, so they they looked at man- manipulating uh, the decad level of diets and effects on ammonia emission. So tying in that you know that environmental uh, uh, element to it and nutrient management. So that that was a very enjoyable episode for me. Yeah, that was one of my favorite as well, Clay. And I got to tell you that. Um, all three of yours just happened to be in-person episodes that w- that we recorded, and I'm kind of wondering how much that had to do with it. But uh, yeah, so let's listen uh, to a, a quick clip from from that episode. Why don't we start with uh, you, Bill? Well, like I started, um, environmental issues are only going to increase. Um, in the past, you know, for ammonia, reducing ammonia, the goal we always just said feed less protein. And which is good, but there's some disadvantage of that, too. So these ideas of whether they work perfectly or not, again, it just gives us a bigger toolbox of ways to reduce ammonia. So I think in the future, things like this may become even more important. So what, what, uh, one thing that I want to add uh, to the Bill's point, uh, reducing protein level in the diet always works to reduce the ammonia emissions, but that also decreases the manure value as well. Mm-hmm. So you just don't have uh, more ammonia emission from manure. Um, but what I think is uh, recently uh, our goal is to improve sus- sustainability of dairy production. Uh, when we talk about sustainability, economically viable uh, the dairy production, and also environmentally friendly, and then uh, uh, we have to maintain the production. Uh, there are many things, but my focus is to uh, maintain the uh, production level uh, with uh, decreasing environmental impact. Uh, the goal to to do that, uh, what we need to do to, is to improve efficiency of diet uh, nutrient utilization, so we can have less uh, nutrient excretion, um, but maintaining the production. Uh, which is uh, the research goal that I have. Uh, if that works, it will be uh, pretty uh, practical. Mm-hmm. Play? I think, you know, I think this is really important right now, taking, looking at the, the cost of fertilizer right now. The cost of, of nitrogen fertilizer is extremely high. So if we can retain more of that nitrogen in the field, that's that's a huge benefit now. Yeah. Very well. Haley, going to give you the final comments. Sure thing. Um, So a lot of what I'm thinking has already been said, so I won't necessarily echo it. Um, But I think a natural next step in research would be a a field trial and trying to grow some of these crops, maybe not necessarily with a chloride supplemented diet, but especially those that um, are using 
sulfur to, to decrease that decad, um, especially for some of those soils that are sulfur deficient. Now that I'm working in extension, I'm looking a lot at the whole farm model. I'm helping a lot with agronomic uh, areas that I wasn't doing necessarily before. And so just trying to get that whole umbrella approach just to see, you know, how it comes full circle would really be important. So, Clay, my favorite third episode of 2022 featured the Cooler Kids program. Balkim uh, launched the Cooler Kids program in 2020 to work with local community food banks and other ag organizations to provide dairy products and refrigerated food to uh, local food banks across the country. Along the way, we built relationships with like-minded companies like Dairy uh, Farmers of America and Cooler Management, Inc. In this episode, uh, we invited representatives from Balchem, DFA, and Cooler Management to talk about the work that the ag community is doing to bring wholesome dairy products to the less fortunate among us. Uh, for those of you keeping score at home, this was episode number 53, which aired on September 27th. 2022. And, you know, I want you to take particular attention as you listen to this episode. Um, the, the folks involved in this program, very passionate about it and uh, really care about our community. So enjoy this uh, little uh, snippet from episode 53. Stephanie, why don't I start with you? Well, Scott, thanks for uh, teeing that up. So um, like you mentioned before, uh, so just like the communities that we're working to support, we're also building this community of folks who support it. So I never thought in a million years in 2020 that looking two years down the road that I would have such a supportive network. Um, I think that people on this call, we can solve any problem that's thrown to us. And so I really encourage you all to join us. Um, DFA will continue doing this work. Um, just wanted to mention that, you know, actual dairy product donations are occurring every day from all of DFA's brands. Um, since the start of the pandemic, we've donated 34.6 million servings of dairy um, equivalent since the start of the pandemic, which is just incredible. And we're just one dairy company. Um, so we're just really excited to continue doing this work down the future. We know that recovering from this pandemic is not a flip of the light switch and that our communities will be recovering and hopefully finding a better way to support those communities as we move forward. So Scott, thank you so much for having me. And um, it was it was really a pleasure. Well, thank you, Stephanie. You've been a great guest. Uh, look forward to meeting you in person someday. Charlie, why don't we uh, go with you next? So I think what, what we've learned, Scott, as we've worked through this is there's value in this as an activity with food awareness, food safety, I mean, and, and security. But really, from a corporate standpoint or from a company standpoint, it's about the relationships we build with our customers doing something together. And it's a very interesting opportunity with the next generation of employees who are looking for that with the companies that they're going to select that they work with. So there's a lot of intrinsic value in that. The other thing is we started a program where we do a matching for folks that work in our plants or our own employees anywhere, but they didn't know what that money would go toward, you know, other than what they first donated. So now when you kind of create this and you also give them the opportunity to go work in the pantries and put some hours in, it gets a lot more traction 
and a lot more energy around it. And it builds a really nice community, whether it's the working group in an area or the in a manufacturing plant or even the home office. And so those are some of the things that I don't think we had, you know, we Jonathan threw it to us and said, how do we handle this milk being dumped and do something positive for the industry? And it's evolving to something totally different. And that is really cool. Well said, Charlie. Um, Melissa, Mark, who wants to go next? Melissa, you want to go? You know that I always want to talk, Scott. I mean, like, and Mark, poor Mark is, knows that. So, um, you know, I just want to say, first and foremost, the passion that's on the phone, that's in the room, in the virtual room, is just always so impressive. And when you can get up every day and work with this group of people and know that, you're not only going to work for a business, but you are changing the lives of people across the country. I mean, it's a pretty rewarding uh, program that we're running together and what we get to do on an everyday basis. So I just want to thank all of you on the phone. Everybody's listening is, you know, just the gratitude that we have at Glor Management for the partners um, and the work that we get to do with you. Um, and for, for what's up for, for next for us, it's always innovation. It is always making sure that we are thinking about what the food banks need, what, what do our CPGs need, what do our retailers need, what do our partners need, and having an answer for that. And so, um, you know, earlier this year, we launched something called the Parkit Market, which is a mobile refrigerated pan food pantry. And that is really something that we've been focusing on because um, in, in the hunger world, you know, not only do we want to give people a box of food, we want to give them a box of food that they can choose, right? That their families, they want to eat, that meets their dietary restrictions, that they get to choose. And there's a lot of dignity that comes with that. And I think that's a part of the program and the work that we do is a lot of the coolers that we place are also um, glass door refrigerated units. And people get to open those doors and they get to choose what's for their family. And I think keeping food dignity top of mind is very important to us and innovation is very important to us. Um, and just constantly listening to our network of what their needs are. Um, and the last thing I, I would say that we focus on, and, and this is probably a little bit different that you would think to hear from somebody like Cooler Management, but it is using all the dollars for the grants that are on the table from USDA or local, you know, local grants at the government level or state level to make sure that not a dollar of that gets wasted. And it goes to, you know, getting each of our families out there food to eat every night. So, you know, there's a there's billions of dollars of grants out there. But if, if food banks and food pantries don't know about it, then it's going to waste. And we don't want that to happen. And so whether it's going to refrigeration or not, we're here to help our, you know, connect some of those dots and um, be a bigger player for overall um, nutritious foods for everyone. Um, you know, that's just one of our focuses at Color Management. So again, thank you, Scott. Thank you, Charlie, for letting us be on here. It's such a pleasure to be your partner. And this was so much fun today. So yeah, thank, thank, you. thank you, Melissa. We thank, thank you for everything you do. Mark, we're going to give you the final word. Yeah, well, you know, that's why I hired Melissa, because she says it all so well. <laughs> you know, I, I think with the final word. You all heard that. I just want to say, you all heard that. Um, it comes down to people, right? It comes down to the people at the farm gate, raising livestock, raising crops, doing what they do on the farm for us so we don't have to. Right? It comes down to 
the business case in the charitable food system, in my mind, the more exposure we place on the lack of infrastructure, the more money that's pumped into the charitable food system, the more people that will be helped, the more people we can employ, the more people that hopefully will get out of the charitable food system because they have access to healthy, fresh food. And they will remember that they had the opportunity and they had the access to fresh, healthy food. And I do believe, you know, bottom of my heart, I believe that they won't be in that charitable food system if we do something about it. Right now, I believe that there's a house with shingles on it without a foundation in the charitable food system, right? We've got all of this food being pumped into the charitable food system, and that's great. But without a proper infrastructure and foundation, it's going to waste. And if we do something about that, 30,000 coolers in my mind is half of all of the food pantries right now in the charitable food system. For the next 10 years, that's about how long these quality refrigeration units will last. That means for the next 10 years, we don't have to think about refrigeration. We can think about where the food comes from. And I believe that's the solution. All right. Clay, why don't you tell us uh, about your second pick? Yes, Scott. So as you mentioned earlier, there is a theme to my picks. Um, so my second uh, favorite episode um, was episode 43. It was um, it was dropped on May 10th uh, of this year, and it was the um, it was a, the podcast that uh, that we did right after a um, a mini symposium that we did at the Tri-State Dairy Nutrition Conference. Uh, the mini symposium was uh, was titled "Exploring In Utero Influences on Transgenerational Performance." We had, um, we had four guest speakers on that program, uh, Dr. Jack Britt, Dr. Jimena Laporta, uh, Dr. Eric uh, Capio, um, and Dr. Pete Hansen. And that was a, uh, that was a, really, uh, a really fascinating mini symposium. And, um, and we actually recorded this with a, with a live audience there. And they um, they actually asked some of the questions to the panel, which was a, a, a unique aspect to the Real Science Exchange. Yeah, I agree, Clay. That was one of my favorites as well. And I think the thing I like most about it was that live audience that you mentioned. That was a, a nice touch. Look forward to maybe doing that again sometime. Let's listen to a quick clip of that episode. And why don't we start with you, Pete? Well, I mean, I think what they can use is really what Amina's going to talk about. I mean, Amina probably has the best example of the importance of developmental programming for for uh, dairy cattle production. You know, don't heat stress. We always ignore the dry cow. Put her out in the middle of nowhere. That's dumb. Make sure those cows are not being exposed to heat stress. So that's your idea. I'm sorry. That, <laughs> so I already knew that. Nothing I talked about will change the management of uh, dairy farms today. But I will say the one thing I think we've learned is there's a role for dairy nutrition in developmental programming. We haven't worked it out yet, but I think in the future you're going to see products designed for dairy cattle that not just increase the cow's milk production, but regulate how it develops in utero. So I, I think that's my take-home message. 
And what did I learn? I really enjoyed your talk, Eric. Um, just to show the, the range of effects of choline and, and probably other molecules like choline, that it can have pretty profound effects on the function of uh, different organ systems and certainly central nervous system for humans is of utmost importance. Um, I, I learned probably more than anybody, I think, uh, since this is my first exposure to the to the dairy nutrition world. But I think what I what I've got a greater appreciation for now is just how impactful the role of early life nutrition really is, and that's a that's not a human specific phenomenon. That's something that is, I think, just just conserved across all mammals. Um, and, and I think we're really only scratching the surface with this too. I mean, we all talked, you know, in some way, shape, or form about methylation, but that's only one avenue that epigenetics plays a role. I mean, um, even our own work with choline shows that choline deficiency can lead to aberrant microRNA expression. That's something that is is just, I mean, still super new. I mean, microRNAs were only discovered in what less than twenty years ago. So, I mean, the imagine where we're going to be in twenty years and what the how we'll be able to describe this relationship between nutrition and epigenetics. So I would say, I mean, if I was to, to give some really 10 million foot high advice to a dairy farmer, I would say that um, paying attention to adequate nutrition, be it, you know, for humans that are working, uh, working in your operation or for the dairy cattle that are there is incredibly important. And I think that preconception gestation time is probably the most impactful time to pay attention to nutrition at any point in the lifespan. Well said. Clay? So the take-homes from mine, um, we, we've known for years now, uh, certainly two buckets of benefits to um, supplementing reassured or transition cows, increase milk and milk component yield, and improve liver health and overall health outcomes. But the um, the third benefit we're finding now is is impacts on that developing calf. Um, that's happening the last three weeks of gestation. So those are the take homes from mine. As far as as far as what I learned today, um, I as far as Pete's uh, presentation, we we do need to figure out how we can uh, properly supplement these methyl donors during during um, the, the time of fertilization and conception. Yeah, thank you for that, Clay. Yamana? Um, I learned a lot, too. I, I learned a lot about the large offspring syndrome, which I think it's fascinating to think that um, methylation can cause that, and, and I think that's really a fascinating topic. I did learn a lot about choline, just other than being a methyl donor, all the things that it can do. So uh, there's there's a lot there. As far as boots on the ground for my research, I think Pete summarized it very well. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, I, I think just looking at the dry cow, and if you know Jeff Dahl, he has been saying this for many years, cool your dry cows, cool your dry cows. I think now we're understanding what the mechanisms are behind all these phenotypes that we see. And I think getting uh, a better idea on, on how these things work will enable us in the future to manipulate them. Uh, and it will take years, you know, we're in, in the midst of understanding how, how they work. But sometimes when we say programming or manipulating, people get a little 
um, upset, but I, I think those are the things that are going to come in the future. We know the genes. Now we know how to, now we need to learn more how to manipulate them, uh, to our benefit and to get, uh, positive responses. So managing that dry cow, not just, we, we show that cooling can revert all these phenotypes that I showed, but also nutrition, uh, or a combination of both, which maybe it's not one thing or the other. Maybe it's the two of them. And so, yeah, just looking at your dry cows and those three generations that you are impacting. So next time you think about a dry cow, think about three generations and hopefully you don't forget about that. Yeah, thank you for that. I would say in 20 years, we will have a net merit for epigenetics, just like we have a net merit for genetics for all of our breeds of cattle and other species. And And I also learned how important a simple compound like a methyl group can have a huge influence on the biology of the animal. I think that's an important that we look at all, all the big things, but we also need to look at the little things. Methyl groups are extremely important. And my number two pick is a legacy series. We, we started the legacy series of podcasts to celebrate the pioneers of the industry, to take a look back at the research, their impact, and their lives. Uh, one of my favorite episodes from 2022 was the Legacy Series podcast honoring and memorializing Dr. Peter J. Van Soest. Uh, Dr. Van Soest passed away in March of 2021, but his legacy will forever be felt in the animal nutrition world. He was a true character and a unique personality. Scott, that was really a fun one uh, to record. Uh certainly reminiscing about you know a true pioneer of the uh of the dairy nutrition industry yeah absolutely i really enjoyed some of the the stories that that our guests uh had to share about uh, uh dr van seust and telling those stories was uh, dr mary beth hall from the usda dr mike van amberg from cornell university and David Mertens from Mertens Innovation and Research. Uh, let's take a quick uh, uh, listen to a clip from that episode. And why don't we start with Mary Beth? You're up in the upper right corner or upper left corner. I, I think his legacy that, I mean, for, for grad students, for, for going forward, kind of goes back to, to not resting on laurels. I mean, the last paper that we worked on, um, his one on Clasan lignin versus acid detergent lignin. There was a glimmer there that maybe NDF digestibility is an apparent analysis. And it was an intriguing discussion with him. And, and so part of his legacy would be here. This is the best we've got. It may be the best we'll ever have. But keep looking for options that might help us get better and, and have them well grounded in good science, good chemistry, good analysis and such. Um, your second, your second question to me. What to say to a grad student? What to say to new grad, new grad student? What to say to a new grad student? Yeah, what would he want to say? Just with their, just starting out their career, what advice would he give them? I think it would, might go back to something that Dave was talking about earlier. It, it's, it's diving in and finding questions that haven't been well addressed, or even if maybe we think they have been and see where you go. But but again, think about it, make sure it makes sense, and see what you pursue. Thank you for that. Dave? Well, I, I think his, his legacy is certainly going to be 
all of the concepts that he has gotten us to think about in addition to the chemistry that he's taught us that's been useful. Um, and I think sometimes I dwell a little bit on the chemistry because to me it's so fascinating because it was so different. But he, he was a person of thought in terms of concepts, of ideas. And uh, that's the reason why I would encourage people to read his book, to read his papers, because it's the ideas that's probably going to push us forward uh, and going to be his real legacy. And uh, he, he would want us to do that. He would want us to, to build. Uh, the other thing um, I think is that we need to think a little bit more in terms of translational research, how to take ideas from a different branch and apply it to our branch. I mean, what made Pete so special was the fact that he knew chemistry and biochemistry and physical chemistry. He also understood nutrition and he made those two things come together. And I don't think we do enough of that. We're, I, I tell the story that I, we're getting so specialized. We know more and more about less and less until we're gonna know everything about nothing. Uh, and <laughs> Pete would have been exact opposite of that. Okay, that's, that's not the way his brain worked. Uh, in terms of what he would tell a new grad student, uh, Pete was not one to give advice, but um, what he taught me by doing, I think was a couple of things. He wanted you to think deeply. He wanted you to read widely, okay? Uh, and I think those were the things that he taught me without telling me that probably are things that he would want to stress to a new grad student. Uh, Peter, uh, Peter was interesting in that he loved to take an idea and trace it backward as well as take it forward. Uh, he, he, he would take it and find it out where this idea started. And he taught me to do that. And I've always found that fascinating because what was amazing to me is I could find somebody in 1892 that came up with an idea that we're working on today. And 90% of what they thought at the time was still right today. It's like, and so I think Peter would, would say, you know, delve into a topic deeply, do a lot of reading and, and do a lot of, you know, think independently, look at the data, draw your own conclusions. That would probably be the way Peter would, would say it. Yeah. Thank you. Clay, any final words from you? Yes, I've I I found this uh, this very fascinating, and uh, I really I want to thank um, Dave and Mary Beth for the in memoriam that uh, that came out in the Journal of Dairy Science. That that was very well done. So thank you, thank you for the opportunity of doing this. Yeah, you're very welcome. This has been fun, Mike. Any final words? Yeah, I'll just summarize it by saying I I think his legacy is is teaching us. His legacy is is the thought process, how to think. I, and everybody said that already, but really, um, and I think that's one of the hardest parts about his legacy, Scott, since you asked that question. Nobody reads the same way today. At least the current, gen back to the students, right? I'm going to try to integrate my answers here in the interest of time. Boy, our, our current, you know, I make my students read. Um, I make my students take PCHEM, right, David? 
And and um, the, 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 my concern is for his legacy, and it's what Dave, it's what everybody laid out here. Peter had a tremendous thought process, and it wasn't whether you were right or wrong. It's just, what did you learn in the process of thinking through all of that, and what could you find for evidence, right? And if you found the evidence, it wouldn't matter if that person said no way that's ever going to happen. Because if you could think your way through it and say, no, here's how I find the evidence and I can show you this, then by golly, that's we're now we're learning and now we're we're making change. And I think when it comes to the students, he would encourage them to do the same thing. The problem is, is that it's really hard to teach that in the Google generation. <laughs> right? Yeah. We we want an answer, we want it quick. Uh, but how we got there, you know, Pete's D Dave referenced 1882 or 1892, 1892. Well, the Einhoff papers from 1806, and it's written from in high German and Peter read it. And Einhoff was probably the first guy to actually develop NDF and he did it mechanically on potatoes, right? And Pete read the darn paper from 1806 and said, this is probably what I need to replicate, but I need to do it chemically, right? I can't, we can't do this mechanically, right? And so, so yeah, so it's learning how to think. And for the students, the other thing I'll say, and, and from a student perspective, and I think this is one of the things that Dave and I have lamented this one doing chemistry. There's very few labs doing feed chemistry anymore, real feed chemistry. Um, so that's kind of becoming a lost art. We're leaving it up to the commercial labs and the students have no idea what the hell assay was run and why it was run. Yeah. The age of statistics. Um, <laughs> uh, we're seeing one hell of a lot of statistical nutrition. Um, a lot. And it, that he would rail against that, right? Because yep. it doesn't follow his tenet of what can you recover, what can you show, what what did you have left, right? The back to Curly Lucas, the uniform fractions, the, the concept of nutritional uniformity. This is ninety-eight percent digestible. This is zero percent digestible, and R squared of zero is is informative, <laughs> right? I'll always remember him telling us that. So, so that kind of stuff, Scott, is, is I think that's a hard part of his legacy, and I'm very concerned that we're going to lose that because we've moved to big, big data. We don't question the biology. We just, you know, if we can put enough data together, we can run enough equations through some R code with a mixed model, and by golly, we're going to learn something new. Uh, and that, that is the antithetical aspect of a Pete Van Seuss approach. Right, so that's so that's what we've got to stay away from. All right, Clay, in in our big reveal here, what was your number one favorite of the year? My number one favorite was uh, actually a series of uh, of real science exchanges that we did at the ADSA meetings back in June in Kansas City. Um, so they they were all dropped as episode forty eight. Um, July 19th, 20th, and 21st. One of those episodes was uh, some original biochem research that was presented at the, at the meetings this year. Um, so our guests were, uh, were uh, Dr. Turner Schwartz from, um, from Michigan State University. Uh, he was a, he's a postdoc in uh, Dr. Barry Bradford's lab. Uh, Tanya France, um, who's a PhD candidate at uh, Cornell University working in Joe McFadden's lab. 
uh, Usman Arshad, uh, a PhD candidate at the University of Florida, working in uh, Dr. Jose Santos's lab, and uh, and now Dr. Henry Holdorf, who uh, be, uh, who earned his doctorate back in May uh, at the University of Wisconsin Madison under uh, under Dr. Heather White's um, guidance there. So that was uh, there were a number of uh, we had, we had eleven abstracts uh, related to those uh, to the work at out of those four labs that were presented at the ADSA meetings this year and. Uh, even though, you know, even though Reassure has been around for over 20 years now, we always learn new, new things about the product and how it works with every study that we do. So some, some pretty fascinating work that was done there. Yeah, and you're to be uh, thanked for that, Clay, in large part uh, to the research program that you've designed. So uh, kudos to you. I'll also say that uh, this was also one of my favorite uh, podcasts of the year as well. Just really enjoyed uh, meeting uh, the young people that had done the research and and uh, undoubtedly they're going to be some of the future leaders in the industry. So it, it's been great getting to know them. Let's uh, take a real quick listen to, I think we've got Turner Schwartz here uh, teed up. Do you think we know enough yet today that uh, we, we can um, determine some uh, practical implications or still we need to determine, do, do some more research? <laughs> Always more research. Yes, um, with the with the calf stuff, I think you're you're seeing improvements in health. I think your study at Florida was really profound. Uh, certainly, I think prenatal choline can help improve health in those herds that are really struggling with calf foot diseases. I think that's a practical application. Uh, Long-term responses and more investigation is probably need to get, dig into that further, but I, I think there's a lot of promise there. And then we're going to come down to my number one pick. Um, I have to say my favorite episode from 2022 was recorded at this year's World Dairy Expo, yet another in-person one. And it was an extension of the virtual farm tour that we sponsored there at the World Dairy Expo. Uh, it featured the Bateman family from Utah. The Bateman Family Virtual Farm Tour presentation can be found at the World Dairy Expo website, uh, and we'll put a link to, the, uh, to that episode in the show notes. Um, the thing that made you know, this one of my favorite podcasts is I, I really got to know uh, the entire Bateman family, right? It wasn't just a podcast. It was, it was the whole process of going out to their farm in Utah, uh, videotaping the family, uh, their farm. Um, we had, we had drones in the air taking pictures of, of the dairy, but, but just getting to know the entire family, uh, really made this a special, uh, episode for me. Um, you know, in my opinion, the Bateman family exemplifies everything that's good and wholesome about the dairy way of life. You know, they emphasize, uh, the dairy family, uh, strong moral fiber, the love of land and of the livestock that they, they care for. Um, the thing that most uh, impressed me the most was the the patriarch of the family, uh, Wayne Bateman, uh, who passed away this last October. And the clip that I've selected um, is an excerpt from the interview that I did with Wayne when we visited the farm back in July. Uh, folks, this is a must-listen podcast. Would in, uh, definitely encourage you to go out and listen to episode number 56 that aired on November 8th, 2022. Scott, that, that one really hit home with me as well. Uh, 
I wasn't there uh, for the recording, but I was able to meet the family a few months before that um, at, out at the dairy. Um, I know we're both from, from large families, and uh, it just really, really hit home to me um, how close that family is. So, yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a must listen. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Wayne Bateman. I come home one day to my wife and I said, Danny, I'm quitting school and I'm going to get a herd of cows and we're going to dairy and farm. She about was going to kill me, <laughs> but I had this love and this passion and we just, you know, it's one of those where, uh, you know, as a family, you know, we didn't have it all together, but all together we had it all. And that was the only thing that, that really, really mattered. That same principle just really applies to all of us, to everywhere, no matter what we're doing as an organization. It's, you know, if you can do what you like to do, then, you know, it's not really a, a job. It's a pleasure and something you can enjoy and making it something. And so if at the end of the day, my boys are still talking to me and my wife will let me in the house, it's been a wonderful day. Well, Clay... That's going to do it for our countdown, and uh, we'll call that the last call as well. Tonight's last call question is brought to you by NitroSure Precision Release Nitrogen. NitroSure delivers a complete TMR for the rumen microbiome, helping you feed the microbes that feed your cows. To learn more about maximizing microbial protein output while reducing your carbon footprint, visit balcom.com slash NitroSure. What are you looking forward to in 2023? Well, a few things. Uh, so I will say, uh, you know, based off of all the, you know, all of the recordings we did at ADSA this year, the, the, the industry's in great hands in the future. There are some tremendous young people coming into the industry. So, you know, I'm looking forward to that, uh, to uh, so, some new blood coming into the industry. Um, Economically, you know, it looks like looks like we'll have good, you know, prices here for for milk and milk components. So hoping for that in the coming year as well. So um, so yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to 2023. Yeah, excellent. How about you, Scott? Well, from a personal level, you know, at my age, I I I don't plan too far into the future, right? But uh, you know, I've got my kids coming in for Christmas, so so I'm looking forward to that. But as far as um, next year, 2023, from a, a professional perspective, I, I really enjoyed the the in person episodes that we did, Clay, and I'd really like to see if we could do more of that in 2023, and and even expand our geographic reach, right? Uh, maybe into Europe and, and maybe Asia and do some uh, some podcasts there as well. So I'm putting that on my Christmas wish list. So we'll see if that comes true. So Clay, uh, you know, as we close up here, I want to thank you for being a big part of the Real Science Exchange this year. Your your humor, your candor, your friendship has uh, 
helped make this podcast a success. So I want to thank you for that. And thank you to all of our loyal listeners who have joined us throughout 2022. We appreciate you spending a little time with us um, every couple of weeks here, and hopefully you've learned something along the way. We're very excited about 2023 and would love to hear your recommendations for topics and guests. Leave your comments on your favorite podcast platform or send us an email with your ideas to anh.marketing at valchem.com. As a reminder, our Real Science Lecture Series continues with monthly topics for both the ruminant and monogastric audiences, as well as a quarterly uh, webinar for companion animals. To register for upcoming events or to view past topics, visit balchem.com slash real science. Thank you again for joining us around the table in 2022. We hope you learned something. We hope you had some fun. And we hope to see you next time here at the Real Science Exchange, where it's always happy hour and you're always among friends. Cheers. Cheers, Clay. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We'd love to hear your comments or ideas for topics and guests. So please reach out via email to anh.marketing at balchem.com with any suggestions, and we'll work hard to add them to the schedule. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating on your way out. You can request your Real Science Exchange t-shirt in just a few easy steps. Just like or subscribe to the Real Science Exchange and send us a screenshot along with your address and t-shirt size to anh.marketing at balchem.com. Balchem's Real Science Lecture Series of Webinars continues with ruminant-focused topics on the first Tuesday of every month, monogastric-focused topics on the second Tuesday of each month, and quarterly topics for the companion animal segment. Visit balchem.com slash real science to see the latest schedule and to register for upcoming webinars. Mm-hmm.